Hey everyone, this is Jason Shappert, and you're listening to the Private Pilot Podcast by M0A.com, where a good pilot is always learning. Welcome into the Private Pilot Podcast, guys. So thankful to have you all on board. This is Jason Shappert. This episode of the Private Pilot Podcast is brought to you by the Ground School Academy, our number one rated online ground school. Visit groundschoolacademy.com to check it out and learn more. I want to thank you guys, too, for making the Private Pilot Podcast the number one rated podcast on iTunes in the aviation category. In fact, uh, we currently own, as of this recording, the top five spots in the aviation category uh, on iTunes. That's our private instrument commercial CFI podcast, as well as Inspire Aviation, a podcast certainly for everybody. So as you graduate in your flight training, work towards your instrument, you'll have something to look forward to listening to the Instrument Pilot Podcast. Today's topic is cross-country flight planning. And it, gosh, in our ground school, we spend, gosh, our our videos, if you add them all up, are probably 10 hours worth of just cross-country flight planning, cross-country flying, all that content in there. So I'm going to do my best to break it down in about 20, 25 minutes for you guys so you get a better understanding of how I do my cross-country flight planning. And this is how I do it. It's how it works for me. Don't feel like you have to adopt what I do exactly. But it's what I do, it's what's worked for my students, it's what's worked for our thousands upon thousands of online ground school members. Uh, So I have a feeling it'll work for you, or at least some of it will certainly work for you. So cross-country flight planning for me starts this way. Cross-country flight planning for me starts 10 days out. Really, it starts as soon as I know I've got a trip planned. As soon as I know I'm going to be heading somewhere, I start thinking about it. I start checking weather. Oftentimes we think as pilots, I can only check weather on ForeFlight or FlyQ or iFlight Planner but we for, or AviationWeather.gov. We forget that we can use basic sites like Weather.com and everything else to get these big general 10-day forecasts. We can go on aviationweather.gov and look at prog charts. I love looking at the prognostic charts, you know, six, seven, eight days in advance to start to see some frontal activity because that's all I can really tell if I'm trying to plan a flight now that far out weather-wise. We don't know if there's going to be pop-up thunderstorms that day. You can bet if it's Florida in July or August, well, yeah, there's probably going to be some pop-up thunderstorm activity. Really, the majority of the United States experiences that. But what about the frontal activity? We know cold fronts in the summertime are bad news usually. They bring all the nasty weather. They bring the embedded thunderstorms. They bring the squall lines with them. I'm watching for that. I'm watching for low pressure systems. We know that low pressure is bad weather. How do I remember that? Well, remember, a hurricane is a low pressure system. So if I remember a hurricane is a low pressure, and when I get asked on my check ride which is worse, high pressure or low pressure, I can tell them a low pressure system is worse. This is why, and again, I'm getting totally off the topic, but sometimes some good nuggets come out of all this rambling that I do. This is why, though, on my cross countries, to tie it back in together, I start writing down the altimeter settings as the flight following approach controller gives them to me. Oftentimes when we check in, we just go, oh yeah, altimeter 299 or 5, thanks. 
and we just adjust our altimeter and forget about it. I write them all down as we go. So I get a trend of what's happening because, and I'm getting way advanced now, and I apologize for that, away from our 10-day out forecast. Now I'm talking about flying that quick, but let's say I take off and the altimeter's 30.00, and the controller hands me off, and all of a sudden the altimeter's 29 or 9 or 7. Okay, no big deal just yet. The next controller passes me off, altimeter 29 or 9 or 2. Uh, and two nine or nine or zero, and and you see the pressure as I continue. The pressure continues to drop and drop and drop. Next thing you know, the METARs start telling you some bad weather ahead. Everything else is coming. Little things like that I watch for. That's beyond flight planning. That's actually cross country flying now. But my planning starts out. Sorry for the tangent. Ten days ahead, if I can get it with a ten day forecast. I also start my route planning. The moment I know I'm going somewhere. I start my route planning. Now, here's how I do my route planning. I always draw a straight line because I became a pilot to save time, right? I became a pilot so I didn't have to drive the roads that take me all over Timbuktu and there's no straight line to where I'm going to. We all know little places like that. Cedar Key is a great example for us. Cedar Key is about a 20 minute flight or an hour and a half drive because you just have to go through the boondocks to get back there. There's no direct route really. So I became a pilot so I could go straight line. So I always start with drawing a straight line on my sectional chart, on my iPad, you know, skyvector.com, whatever you're using. I start with a straight line. And then I make my adjustments because I know there's going to be restricted airspace. I know there might be some uh, you know, prohibited airspace, class Bravo airspace that you're not comfortable tackling just yet. But I want to draw a straight line and see what that gives me first. And then from there, I make adjustments. And really and truthfully, you should be planning two or three routes. Let's use an example. And I hate to get geo-specific with examples, but you guys can pull this up if you want to know. If not, I'll explain it well enough to where you don't need to look it up. If I wanted to fly from where I'm at, Oscar Charlie Foxtrot, Ocala, Florida, and I wanted to go to Jacksonville, Florida, J-A-X, a straight line puts me through some restricted airspace and this could be any airport. I could plan a straight line and get up, get flight following, and check in and see if that restricted airspace is hot. And if it's hot, well, I divert around it. But how do I divert around it? This is why I plan a backup route. And I fly to Jacksonville quite a bit. So when I fly to Jacksonville, I plan two routes. I plan a straight line route direct to Jacksonville, assuming and hoping the restricted airspace is cold or I can get above it or below it, depending on what they're doing that day. And then I plan a backup route that takes me to the Palatka Airport and around to the and just kind of bum around airport to airport until I get around that restricted airspace. And it adds about 15 minutes to my flight. But I have a plan. Meaning I have a plan when I get up there and the approach controller says, sorry, restricted airspace 2903 Alpha and Delta are hot right now. Say your intentions. Well, I know my intentions because I already planned them out on the ground. It's not a matter of flight planning on the fly, no pun intended. Are you going to go north? Are you going to go south around it? And trying to figure that out when you're hurtling through the sky at 110 knots. I try my best to figure that sort of stuff out on the ground. Now, there's going to be situations whether that sort of stuff will arise where you're going to do diversions on the fly. But let's try to keep those to a minimum with the known the known values, things like restricted airspace, Bravo airspace you may not get cleared through. Now let's have a quick little sidebar for a second because I brought up the topic 
of route planning on an iPad or route planning on you know pen and paper. How do I do it? How is it best to do it? Well, let me let me share this with you. First things first, I want you to become a master of whatever app you decide to use. I've shared this with you guys before. My online ground school members have heard me say this a mil- million times. When I throw out things like ForeFlight, FlyQ, iFlight Planner, uh, I'm just naming aviation apps, okay? I want you to become loyal to one of them, to master and learn every little thing you can about it. But let's have a quick little sidebar on this because here's what's gonna happen. Oftentimes, and I've seen it too many times, Students show up to a check ride with their entire cross-country flight plan done on the iPad. And the examiner says, hmm, yeah, this looks good. And they hit the off button and say, I'm sorry, so-and-so, your iPad just died. What, what are your intentions now? Tell me about more about your flight plan. And you go, well, uh, I got a backup battery. Uh, you start making excuses and, and they're not buying it. Please don't show up to your check ride with only a digital flight plan. Print it out at least if you're going to do that. Here's what I make my students do. I make my students learn how to flight plan the old-fashioned way. I make my students, I was just giving this advice to a gentleman, we do, uh, I've been getting big into Periscope, I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's like uh, uh, Twitter just bought them, it's like live streaming, and I've been doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff, uh, it's, it's basically live video, you're able to see me and see what my phone sees and everything else, been doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff at the airport, at the mzoe.com world headquarters and studio, and a gentleman was asking me that, Jason, do I need a manual or do I need an electronic E6B, and it's to the same point that... You know, I want you to learn everything you can on the ground, and that includes manual flight planning. I want you to master the art of the manual flight plan because an examiner can't take pen and paper away from you, but they can take an iPad away from you. They can take an electronic E6B from you. The batteries can die in that sort of stuff. So for the sake of your check ride, I want you to manually flight plan. I know it sounds archaic. I know I just added like two hours to the morning of your check ride if you're going to do it properly. Um, and I apologize for that because here's what happens in the real world. What happens in the real world is I do all my flight planning on the iPad. And then I'll go back and I'll manually check some of the numbers like my ground speed to make sure that's right. Because if my ground speed is off, my time is off my fuel burn is off. There's a lot of things that are wrong if my ground speed's off. And I can tell you this, this has happened. You take off and you flight plan 110 knots across the ground and all of a sudden you're only getting 90 knots. And all of a sudden it, it, the question enters your mind, am I going to make my airport of intended landing? And that's a scary thought to run through your head. And it's run through my head before. In fact, one story comes to mind when we were on a trip called Flying Across America. Um, We were doing it when the government first uh, entertained the idea of user fees. And they, they literally called anyone who owns an airplane, the exact words were rich fat cats. So I took my $15,000 Cessna 150, flew it all the way out to Catalina Island, California and back doing seminars along the way to show them that you don't have to be a rich fat cat to, to fly airplanes. You know, this airplane cost me 15 grand and it also took me two weeks to get to California just because it flies so slow. Uh, we were over Death Valley 
Um, and that exact situation arose. Couldn't think of a worse place for it to happen. And the question popped into my mind that I don't think we're going to make it. And we ended up diverting. Uh, of course, diverting in Florida is much easier than it is diverting when you're in Death Valley when the nearest airport's about 60 miles away, the nearest airport with fuel, at least. So, and that was my fault. Uh, the iPad had just come out, and I put all my faith in that. And truth be told, uh, we were about 20 knots off on our flight plan. And it was, you know, the winds just change and things just happen. So I'm not blaming the iPad by any means. But what I'm saying is, if you're going to be a digital flyer, and I encourage you to after your check ride, please double check the crucial numbers. My fuel, my time, my ground speed. Those two numbers all come down to that last number, ground speed. Here's some other things I like to do when I'm getting ready. We're, we're, we're deviating away from that sidebar on digital flying now. By the way, digitalflying.com, if you want to learn more about how I use the iPad, which iPad I chose, uh, which apps I use, how I use them, digitalflying.com. It's a free book. You enter your name, your email, and I email it right to you automatically. So digitalflying.com for those who want to check that out. Learn everything I can on the ground. You've heard me say that a few times. That includes, in my cross-country flight planning, learning everything about the airport I'm heading to. And truth be told, learn everything about the little airports along my route. I, I pull up every single airport that's within 10 miles to my left or 10 miles to my right. And I just pull them up, I learn their name, I take a peek at the runway, see if there's a tower. I'm just learning the little things I can about those airports. I really learn everything about the airport of intended landing. If it's an airport I've never been to, this will sound crazy, but I even pull it up on Google Earth. And I get in there and I look at the satellite image of it and I say, oh, okay, cool, that's that runway. Oh, the hangars. Uh, I mean, I plan everything out to, okay, I know I'm going to meet this person at uh, this FBO. So I say, oh, okay, and I Google map and say, oh, that, that hangar is that FBO. So I'm already planning my taxi based on which runway I'm going to possibly land on. These are the things I look at. Call it neurotic, call it crazy, but they're the kinds of things that I do. So even going as far as Google Earth and... You know, I can't remember, it was a student of mine, I can't quite remember who, we've had so many students go through, uh, you know, our uh, m0a.com ground school, but he told me something smart, he said, Jason, you know, when I go to different airports, I'm even looking for ways out. By that he means, I hop on Google Earth and I take a peek at, uh, you know, if my engine quit off a of runway 2-3... Where would I go? Well, there's trees to my left. There's a big farmer's field to my right. Little things like that. I thought, wow, that's impressive stuff. I appreciate you doing that. That's impressive. All right, let's, um, let's continue this here now. What about the actual day of the flight? Well, I've been kind of thinking about what altitude I'd like to fly at the entire time. However, I can't make that decision, true, you know, truth be told, until the day of the flight. Because I first off based it on winds aloft. What would be the perfect altitude to fly for winds? Obviously, the most tailwind or least amount of headwind, unfortunately, in some cases. And then I ask myself, okay, which of those altitudes can I now get based on where the clouds are at? Or based on terrain for my area? Those are the things I look at when choosing an altitude. Obviously, you know, our, our east is least, west is best stuff. But winds aloft, 
And can I get that altitude that I want based on where the clouds are at, based on terrain? And then the last thing I do, and this is going to sound so archaic, you're going to think I'm, I'm an old man when I tell you this, but I confirm everything with a flight briefer. Yes, I still call 1-800-WX-BRIEF. In fact, they're really doing a great job of revitalizing the 1-800-WX-BRIEF system. Um, they just landed a new contract with Lockheed Martin. Uh, they are now on social media. As someone who does a lot in social media, Facebook, Twitter type stuff, uh, they have presence now at Oshkosh and Sun and Fun. I mean, these are these guys that we used to call on the phone. These these gruff old guys that that didn't seem like they want to talk to you. Now they're they're, they're really changing up their their image a little bit, and I I appreciate it because it makes them more approachable. They're not just some random person that we call. Um, I call 1-800-WX-BRIEF because I like talking to another human. First and foremost, the service is recorded, by the way. So I call them up. I say, hey, this is Jason Shepard in 7159 Quebec. And this is all being recorded, keep in mind. So when they tell me, oh, Jason, there's no NOTAMs. There's no TFRs to worry about. You're A-OK. Thank you. And then if I were to bust a TFR that I didn't know was there because they told me there wasn't one, for example, you know, we don't always know where the president is traveling. Maybe the president just happened to pop into town one day, uh, uh, you know, unbeknownst to us, and I bust a TFR. I can say, listen, I called 100WX Brief and they told me there's no TFRs. You can go listen to the tape. Kind of another way to cover my bottom, if you know what I mean. But I like to talk with the flight briefer and just confirm everything. Hey, you know, uh, I'm I'm planning on going at this altitude. What do you think about that? Because these guys are aviation weather experts. The majority of them are pilots themselves. They're certainly weather experts, and they give you their final opinion. It's either in the terms of VFR not recommended or VFR recommended. Everything looks good. But sometimes when you hear those words, if you've done enough flying, you've heard it, VFR not recommended, they make the decision for me to make a no-go decision, and I end up staying on the ground. Cross-country flight planning for me, guys, starts the moment I know I'm going somewhere with watching weather, planning routes manually and you know digitally. Looking up things on Google Earth as archaic and crazy as that sounds. Learning everything I can about the airports, choosing my altitudes and confirming with a flight briefer. If I had to summarize everything, that's certainly the way to do it. So listen, guys. I want to thank you guys so much just for uh, listening to the Private Pilot Podcast, helping to get us to number one on the charts on iTunes in the aviation category. That truly, truly means a lot. Be sure to subscribe in iTunes. Uh, leave a review as well. We greatly appreciate it. Share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, whatever social media uh, you choose to use. Uh, keep looking forward to the next episode. Enjoy the rest of your day and most importantly, remember that a good pilot is always learning. Have a great day, guys. See ya.